comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And here's today's verse. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, um, so the Beatles came out with a new song last week. That is something I never expected I would say in a sermon, but it happened. And uh, I spent some time this week, I watched a little documentary about the making of this song and listened to the song, and then of course I went through the obligatory process of kind of working my way back through some of the classics. And uh, I came across one of the well-known ones, All You Need Is Love, which is a great song. Really beautiful song, positive message. But preaching through this sermon series over the last couple of months has kind of forever altered the way that I'm going to hear that song. Because every time John Lennon gets to that chorus, you remember what he, he says right before? He says, it's easy, right? All you need is love. Now John's version of what that means just must be a whole lot different from what Jesus meant when he said, love one another as I have loved you. Because if there's anything that we're getting out of preaching through this chapter so far is that there is really nothing easy about it. The call to love is a call to something that is profoundly good, but it's also something that is incredibly demanding, isn't it? And this verse that we are looking at this morning, that is certainly the case, because here, Paul, he tells us that, uh, about the things that love always does. So the last couple of weeks, love does not do this, this, or this, but now we're at love always. He says it always protects it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. He's telling us in this verse that, that love, the kind of love that, that Jesus requires of us, is a love that endures through difficulty. That it stays, it remains when others walk away. It's a love that hopes and trusts in the Lord, that leans into faith, when times get hard. It's a, a love that shields and protects other people from shame as they come forward with their sin. Always. Always, always, always. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to try to unpack 
this always kind of love, the call to an always love. And we're going to see this, that uh, we're going to talk about the challenge of an always love, the beauty of an always love, and the redemption of an always love. And the first thing we're going to talk about is this challenge, the challenge of an always love. So you know, by now, this is one of the most well-known passages in Scripture, and mostly because we read it at weddings, right? Lots of people have heard this. And if you're married in this room, there is certainly plenty to gain from the verse we just read. This tells us some good things if you interpret this as a way that you're supposed to love your spouse. But that's not what this chapter was written for. This wasn't an instruction on marriage, right? This was written for the very unique community that Jesus came to build. It was written for the church. He is calling the church to have a love that always protects, hopes, trusts, perseveres. A love that's committed. A love that is persistent. A love that is unwavering. And And like any command in scripture, the reason why it's here is because God knows this is something we're going to struggle with. He knows this is something that we need to hear. We need to be reminded of it because it's, it's challenging. Why this kind of always love is, the simple one is we're, we're different from each other. This passage, we said that Corinth was a major town that was uh, made up of people from all over the world. People who'd come from all different kinds of places to try and make a life for themselves. And those same diverse people from all over ended up being in this one local church in Corinth. And now I know I'm recently, and I'll just say get used to it because I'm going to keep using it all the time. It's one of my favorite verses. It's, it's uh, Second Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I like this verse so much because it's a great summary of what the gospel really is. It tells us that Jesus has come not only to bring us in a relationship with God, a relationship where we receive God's mercy for our sins, but he also gives us a new identity as one people together. And I'll just say as an aside real quick, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, uh, I know I'm talking a lot about church-centric stuff today. Um, And some of it, it's going to be brutally honest. It's not going to be so glorious. But I want you to know that the church, in its full glory, is God's amazing gift to us. His people are a provision for our weary souls. And deep down, I I think even people outside the church, I think even non-Christians have a sense of that, that we all have this longing to find a place where we can know others and be known. A place where people can find out about the worst things about us and they're not going to reject us. They're not going to run away. A place where together we can become more of the people we were really created to be. 
The only place on earth where that happens is the church. So if you're a non-Christian, I'll just say, don't check out on me just yet, because this is for all of us. This is a message that we all need to hear. Now, going back in Corinth, in this town, like I said, all these individuals from all over the world, they had, because of their faith in Jesus, all of a sudden been bound together as one body. They're now called one family, and they're told that they need to love each other. And like I said, it's hard to love people who are different from you. Now, as I think about our church, I I pray that as we move forward, God's going to enhance and increase the diversity that we, we see in this room. But the truth is, there is already plenty of differences among us, right? We come from different places. We have different perspectives on the world. We were born in different decades, even different centuries, right? I was watching a a comedian my age on TV the other day, and he introduced himself to the crowd by saying, hello, I'm from the 1900s. (laughs) But isn't that interesting, right? In this room, in this congregation, we have people who remember riding around in horse buggies, and we have people who cannot remember life without an iPhone. We have lots of differences. And these little basic things are bound to create challenges for us. Misunderstandings, they're going to create room for disagreements. It can make it hard to trust each other, to persevere in love for one another. Love is difficult because we are different. But secondly, love is difficult because the world has fallen. The world we live in is not the way it's supposed to be. And that means we're constantly, around every corner, we're facing the fallout of sin. We encounter it out there in the world, right? I'm so grateful for this series because it's allowed us to talk a lot about joy lately, a lot of these really positive aspects of following Christ. But the promise of joy The promise of experiencing the Father's delight constantly through Jesus, it's not the same as the promise of a happy life. It's not the same as the promise that everything is going to go well for you. In fact, Jesus was very clear that, in fact, the the opposite is usually the case. In the Gospel of John, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It can be hard to love Jesus in the face of a world that is often antagonistic to him and to his followers. And it doesn't matter what culture you're from or what culture you're living in, no matter where you are on earth, the teachings of Jesus are always going to be countercultural in some ways. There will always be, like Jesus said, people opposing him, people mocking him, people dismissing his words. 
And in those moments, it can be very tempting. When we encounter that kind of opposition from society to just give up, to just surrender, to wander away, to take that path of least resistance and to leave him and his people behind. There's opposition in the world. And, and if the fallout of sin was only out there, if it was just out there in the world, well, that would be one thing. But sometimes, the most painful challenges that we face actually come from within the body of Christ. The church is not immune to the effects of sin, right? When leaders fail, when people that we trust deceive us, when we see hypocrisy, when there's division, it makes it hard to push on. It makes it hard to keep going. And if you read this whole letter, which I hope you will sometime, you'll see that Paul was dealing with all of that stuff in his day. When he wrote to this church, the problems we face now were not too different from the problems we faced then. Unfortunately, it's nothing new. The call to love always, it was hard back then, and it's hard now. We're challenged by our differences. We're challenged by the persecution and the trials that come from the outside. And sometimes we're even challenged from grievous sin that comes in our midst. And yet, Paul still says this. This is what love is. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So we, we talked about some of the challenges to that kind of love. Now, let's talk a little bit about the beauty. The beauty of this always kind of love. What does it look like? Practically speaking, what is this kind of love? Well, we'll see when I open my sermon back up. Uh, the simplest, um, here we go. There's a few things. The first and the simplest one that I want to point out is always love looks like persevering through preference. And I'm starting with that one because I think it's probably one of the main obstacles to the modern American church. We live in a world that now, more than ever, is fine-tuned to our particular preferences, right? We've got algorithms, and they are constantly presenting us with the movies, the TV shows, the music, and the books that we're going to like, the ones that we should look at next. And then we have these online communities that we join, and they're dedicated to our extremely niche interests, right? If you open up my social media, it's just this weird blend of premium leather Bibles and memes from the office and news about the New England Patriots. I might be the only person on earth that is looking at that every day, but I am. And the internet lets me. That's how we live. 
with this world that is locked in to our unique desires. And the church is not that way. The church, in fact, is the opposite of that. The church is, the Bible tells us, one body made up of many different kinds of parts. It's a family where the dividing walls of hostility have been torn down between factions that were once hostile to each other. It's a church made up of people from every tongue and tribe and nation, male, female, slave and free. Everyone is called one in Christ. That's great. But it also means that we will constantly face things in the church that are not our preference. We will find ourselves in relationships with people that the algorithm would have never chosen for us. But this is the call to faith because this is glorious. This is beautiful. And it's a challenge. This always kind of love that Paul is talking about, it's a love that doesn't pick up and leave the minute we see something we don't like. We don't just get up and go if we don't like the music or if the service times change or if the new people dress weird, or if the kids are too loud, or if there aren't enough people who are my age. So many Christians today, I see them switching from one church to another as fast as someone changes a channel or clicks on that next video. And when they do that, they are robbing themselves of the power of the church. They are looking for a place that meets their need instead of the people that God has called them to love and be a part of. They're looking for the place that's going to be just like all those things that meet their specific interests instead of realizing that God is calling us together to be one. But dream with me for just a moment. Imagine it if you can. In this world that we live in, that is so defined by this hyper-particular preference for everything, this world that we've gotten used to, imagine what it would be like to see a group of people who are joyfully choosing to give up their preferences for the sake of connection to each other. You know, if we want to reach this community... This community that is a multi-generational community, a community made up of people from all over, then we're going to be called to bend. And when we do, this aspect of Christ's love is going to start to show. A love that perseveres through preference. And this always love Another aspect of it is that it also perseveres through trial. We've already said this, the church is a messy place. You know that old saying, right? The church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And we see that. We know that in the church, there's going to be times when we face some real challenges. Not just preferences, but we face some real challenges. Just like a biological family. 
In this family of faith, there's going to be conflict sometimes. I wish I could tell you there was, wouldn't be, but I know better. There will be. Sometimes people in the church, they lash out in unrighteous anger. Sometimes they gossip. Sometimes they domineer over other people. Sometimes they bully. And part of the call to this always love is a call not to run away in the difficult moments. It's the call to trust the Lord always, to hope in the power of the gospel always, to believe that he is strong enough to overcome and restore the places where there's division. It's a call for us practically to to work through our conflict, to have the guts to lovingly engage in the hard conversation and to seek reconciliation with each other. And that seems like something that is getting rarer and rarer these days, doesn't it? What happens is most of the time, the first minute we reach an impasse, well, we just leave. We have reached this phase in our household right now, in our family, where whenever we're driving in the car with our two youngest daughters, there is conflict. They're fighting over the radio, they're fighting over who sits in the front seat, they're fighting over hairbrushes and sweatshirts and whatever. Whatever it is you can fight about, that's what happens in the car. And I am constantly challenged with them as we drive to help them compromise, to help them work together, to help them listen, to help them obey. I'm, I'm challenged as, as a human being to control my anger, to be patient, to be a good dad. But I'll tell you what I don't do on those drives. I don't just pull over to the side of the road and let them out and say, have a nice life. But isn't that what happens in the church? Isn't that the equivalent of the way we tend to live life together? The precise moment when, if we stay in it, the Holy Spirit might actually do something. The Holy Spirit might actually work something amazing in our midst. Instead, in this moment when when God might actually start to sanctify us, where he might start to make us a little bit more holy, that's when we give up. But a love that always hopes, a love that always perseveres, well, well, that takes humility. It takes patience. It takes trust that God is the one who's brought us together and that he's done it for our good and for his glory. I think Paul gives us the key to how we can find that humility, to how we can persevere in these moments. It's in uh, the letter to 1 Timothy. There he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's how Paul, the guy who wrote a big portion of the New Testament, describes himself. He says, Christ came from sinners, and I'm the worst of them. And he meant it. And can you think of what would happen in our conflicts, in our disagreements, if we all entered them thinking like that? 
What if our difficult conversations started with that thought in our minds? If, if I go into a conflict and I'm saying, there's a problem here, and knowing what I know about myself, there's a good chance the problem is me. And if you come into that conversation with the same attitude in your own heart, there is a great chance we'll find common ground. And there's an even greater chance that when we find common ground, God's going to use that to, to deepen our bond to each other instead of pushing us apart. But again, that is such a rare thing in this world. And that's what the church is called to be. The church is called to be a community that practices loving confrontation and that is willing to trust one another, to, to believe the best about each other, to hope and, and to, to, to protect one another and to persevere through those difficult times. And when that happens, it sends a powerful message to the world. It proclaims the truth that there is a living God who unites all these people together, a people that under any other circumstances would have no business being together. In the gospel, by the power of Christ, he takes all those people and he shows them his mercy and he makes them a people. He doesn't just put us near each other, but it says he knits our lives together. The way Ephesian puts it, it says that he builds us together into a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is the beauty of this always love. That God makes us a people and that he dwells among us. And so let's talk finally about the redemption of an always love. So we talked a little bit about the glory of it. But I also recognize that sometimes there are problems that we face that actually go beyond mere conflict. Sometimes that there are really terrible things that happen. Things that shake us to the core of who we are. Things that leave us scarred and wounded and disillusioned, maybe even questioning our faith. And so the question we need to end on is, what about those times? How can you love in a way that always protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres when you yourself were not protected? When you weren't trusted? When you were left behind and, and mistreated? Now, in all honesty, there's not enough time for me to give a fair answer to that question, but, but I just want to make sure that I say this morning, sometimes men and women are going to fail you. Sometimes entire churches 
are going to fail you. Sometimes churches can become so riddled with sin and corruption that they're really no church at all. And we've seen that. We've seen that with stories of these sexual abuse scandals. We've seen it with leaders who are corrupt. We've seen it with churches that split over seemingly petty disagreements and they just leave disaster in the wake. I know for a fact that there are some people in this room who have been wounded more deeply by Christians than any other people in their entire life. And if that's you this morning, please hear me say that even though those people have failed you, it doesn't mean Jesus has. Even though they have failed you, it doesn't mean that Jesus has failed you. In fact, Jesus weeps with you in your pain. He knows your pain firsthand. In fact, Jesus, he too was abused. He too suffered at the hands of corrupt and self-righteous religious leaders. And I know, because I write these sermons, I could have skipped that part. I could have just said that love trusts and hope and perseveres and given a bunch of light examples that make it seem like it might be doable. In reality, it's incredibly hard. Sometimes it is incredibly hard. But we have to talk about it because that's what life is really like. Conflicts, disagreements, trials, and even serious suffering. They are all guaranteed for the people that follow Christ. But I want you to hear these words from Jesus. He says in Luke, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. I share that passage with you because that is really the stunning part of this whole message. It's the reason why any of us would ever dare to attempt this. Why we would ever dare to persevere with him. Why we would ever, if you've been wounded, why you would ever dream of just trusting another church again after you've been hurt so badly. The reason is... The resurrection of Jesus means our suffering will be redeemed. The resurrection, it teaches us that, that even the suffering, the pain, the hardship in our life is going to be transformed. The cross, it teaches us that, that we serve a God who brings life out of death. He brings redemption out of disaster. He can even bring joy out of your sorrow. And that call to a love that always trusts and always protects and always hopes and always perseveres, that would be pointless without the cross. 
But the cross is actually the point where Jesus shows us this always love, it's his love. Jesus is the one who who proved he's not going to abandon us. Even when loving that way means it would cost him his own life. He proved on the cross that we can, in fact, always trust him. Always hope in him. Always persevere with him through the, the petty things, the small things. But also through the terrible, crushing things. He won't abandon us in our suffering. In fact, the opposite is true. He tells us no one can snatch you out of my hands. One day, we will all stand in his midst together as a redeemed family in the full light and the safety and the joy and the delight of his presence. That's the good news. So as we close this morning, I want to just ask you to close your eyes for a minute. I want to invite you to to become aware of the presence of Jesus right now. I want you to envision God's face shining on you. As you hear these words, my love for you always protects always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. What might you be hearing from him this morning? Perhaps he's inviting you to repent, to turn away from a shallow and disconnected love that's kept people at arm's length, to lay down something, to trust him. Perhaps he's inviting you to come and receive healing for the wounds that you've been dealt through no fault of your own. Perhaps he's calling you, maybe for the first time, to come and rest, to find that mercy that he offers and and to become one with this people with this family that you were created for. Let's just sit here for a moment longer. I'll let you interact with him and and after a few moments of silence, I'll close us in prayer. Father, we come before you again this morning, looking to you in faith, asking that you would continue working a miracle in our midst, that you would bind us together, that you would make us one the way that you're one, that you would give us open arms to welcome those that you're preparing to join with us, that you'd heal our wounds 
and make us into the kinds of people that can offer healing to others. God, we pray that you would work powerfully your redemption and salvation in the lives of the people here who have not yet given their life to you. And we ask all these things in your name.